Welcome to another episode of The Artistic Director with Jacob Alexanderberg. I'm sitting here with Miguel Villa. Miguel, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks yeah. for having me. That's Yeah, no, thanks for being on it. Of like course. such short notice, too. Like yeah. Yesterday I messaged you. But, right. Um, for the listener who doesn't know who you are, can you give a brief history of the performance of Miguel Villa and what led him to be at this moment in time right now and slash lead the parrots? Okay. Oh, okay. So it started in, uh, started, I guess it really started in high school. I was doing like theater with my good friend James McGrath. And, um, James was always really, uh, he didn't need, he was one of those people who like artistically just had this drive. Like he knew yeah. what got him off, you know? So okay. like he was always pushing for really interesting characters and really big choices mm-hmm. and stuff. So that was always really inspiring to me. Um, then I went to college and I was like, I'm not going to do theater and improv because it's so impractical and I need to get a degree, right? And then James McGrath again starts bringing me to Parrots and he's like, hey, you got to do this improv thing. It's, it's super fun. So I'm like, all right, all right, I'll check it out. And then I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with it and uh, I really like the structure. I think I benefit a lot from structure and Parrots had a, an established structure that I could like, um, you know, just, I'm just going to join as an ensemble member and learn how this thing works. And then, okay, I'm going to take on extra responsibilities with like budget authority. And, um, and then it was like, okay, like I see how, how this machine operates and like, um, and I, I think I have a, a natural drive or, or like, um, being in leadership roles. So I ran for artistic director and, um, basically on the platform of like, Hey, we have a few thousand dollars from over 10 years of existence and the university is probably going to audit us at some point. If you don't have any expenses, we'll take away our ability to charge your tickets. So I'm just going to spend this money on getting us to Chicago. And that was basically what my, uh, my campaign speech, if you will. So, yeah. And then as far as parents artistic director goes, I was, uh, ran it for two years and, um, we got first place in our Seattle regionals both years um, for the college improv tournament, which is the largest improv tournament in the world. And oh, then, is it in the world? Like, yeah, oh, yeah, wow. yeah. And then, um, we got first place nationally, my first year and second place nationally, my second year. And I think it was out of, uh, 96 teams and 120 something. I don't yeah. know. So it was like, it was a big thing. We got to meet tons of other college kids. Very and, impressive. It was, yeah, it was great. And something I noticed too, was it was like, with art, right, with judging art, you know, there's so much more subjectivity than, like, you know, if we're if we're competing in weightlifting, like, if you can deadlift five more pounds than me, you can deadlift five more pounds. Yeah. You know what I mean? But with art, it's like, well, we're both really fucking strong. We can both, like, artistically, I guess, deadlift a ton of weight. Yeah. So, like, what's your what's your stylistic choice, yeah. you know? So I felt like, um, like, different college teams that made it to the to nationals all were at like a comparable level of proficiency and then it was sort of like what's the new flavor what's yeah. the new interesting take where's more like originality or stylistic you know flair come in and how can you appeal to the improviser's sensibilities exactly. in a new way yeah 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 and and that's the thing too is that the judges are improvisers yeah so the judges are desensitized to <laughs> improv right yeah, yeah so they don't need to see any more short form exactly they don't need to see short form they don't need to see your, your camping scene oh, you know yeah. they don't yeah. need to whatever three two one or uh or half-life or you know fuck that yeah and even open montages i mean it's like uh, you get to a point with like TJ and Dave, right, where 
where they're just so fucking good that like what else are you really going to do and then it's going to be something different every time but I feel like people fall into this trap right that um, like oh I don't want to be constrained I want to be able to just do any type of improv I want Mm -hmm. you know and then that just turns into so since they don't want to put any limits on themselves you know they're like keep all possibilities open and when you keep all possibilities open and you don't you're not decisive you gotta you know if you don't move forward and choose one of those possibilities and eliminate the rest, then you never move forward. Yeah. You know? It's so just chaos. Yeah. It's just chaos. Yeah. It's just this big kind of gray blur, mm-hmm. you know, like when you take all the paints, yeah. and you, but you know, it's just this brown. That's what a lot of montages are like, you For know? Sure. It's not like a stripe of red and then a squiggle of blue, mm-hmm. you know, it's just this blah. That was something I really liked about Paris is that we would put these artistic limits on ourselves. Yeah. You know, like 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 Rich Brown would always say. Rich Brown's a brilliant theater professor. At He's going to be on this at some point. Oh, perfect! Yeah. Yes, yeah. perfect. So you'll hear from him. Yeah. Um, but like like he would always say, uh, you know, if you give yourself a container, you have something to push against. Yeah, that's you know? exactly. And that's you find the most creative solutions and Absolutely. things that you wouldn't have done beforehand if you have that container. Because you have to find solutions. Yeah, exactly. So if you can do anything, it's like, well, I'm I don't know, I don't know what to do. But if you're like, <laughs> shit, I can't do this, and I have to do this. How am I going to make those things work? And then your mind starts going, yeah. and you start problem solving, and and that's when it gets really interesting. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, perfect. Uh, so this leads very nicely into the, um, the the question that I ask every single one of my guests. It's a big ambiguous question, okay. so feel free to answer it however you please. I like it, um, but it simply is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> take a take a swig of tequila. No, that's water. That's okay, water. I just drink lots like, of water. <laughs> it just it was, it was like very potent. Like, like I'm gonna jug it. Yeah. Um, so the question simply is, what is your artistic direction? Oh wow! What is my artistic direction? Well, you know, you're right. That's very vague. It's very open. Yeah. There's a lot I can do with that. That's like a montage of questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is big. Uh, yeah, right. yeah. I'm just like anything, anything you want. Yeah. No, no, no. That's yeah. good though. That's good. I like it. Um, let's see. What is my artistic direction right now? I'm just trying to like. Hmm. I think I have a different artistic direction right now than I did when I was the artistic director of Parrots. Yeah. Okay. So when I was the artistic director of Parrots, my artistic direction was towards professionalism, right? And so like, so I saw that we had a product that I really believed in and that lots of people, lots of other people really believed in. Like, and, and I'm talking within the group, you know, like 12, 14 people believed in it enough to dedicate eight hours of their week, every week of just totally volunteer time minimum, you know? And then I mean like on a much larger scale too, like having audience sizes of 200, 300, even rarely, but sometimes above 400, you know, for a college improv. Yeah. For a fucking college. Yeah, exactly. Oh my God. And so like that, you know, on one hand we had a, we had a big advantage over, over other professional theaters because we have, you know, we had this contained audience. We have students who are looking for things to do, looking for people to meet. Not all of them can go to bars. You know what I mean? We, yeah. we really had an edge that brought in more people circumstantially. But people aren't just going to do some shit they don't like. You know, like yeah. if, if, if they didn't enjoy the shows, if they didn't enjoy it, you know, the atmosphere and, and, and the product that we had, then they wouldn't be there. So I think since there was all that faith behind it, I was like, 
how do I take, how do I close the opportunity gap in, in what we can achieve and what we're currently achieving? And what I saw was, well, what we're currently achieving is we're doing not as many shows as we can. Like we're, we're fast, we're capable, we're really connected. We can devour formats a lot quicker and hop from um, style to style uh, or form to form. You know, we don't need six weeks to do one show anymore. We can do two weeks and we can do like a multiple show run. And, and then also it was, how can we, this is a, a money-making opportunity also, right? And that tied into my artistic vision. How can we enrich ourselves artistically? You know, because obviously as students, you, you, you can't make it a career and you can't walk away with any of the money like in our own pockets. Yeah. So how can we use our abilities to raise money to then reinvest in our abilities, you know, to go to yeah. Chicago or to hire Upright Citizens Brigade to come up from L.A. and yeah, exactly. do a show and give us a workshop, you know, stuff like that. Um, and then also it was like traveling and building a following. So I think I was just like, this is a great product. And how do I, how do I bring this towards like a professional, um, arena? And that was, that was the idea with parrots. And when I was doing it, um, I felt like, I felt like everyone was really on board. I felt like that was kind of a a group, um, direction. And then my artistic direction now, I think I'm, um, I think I'm trying to figure that out. Yeah. I think I'm like something that's really exciting to me is honesty And that was, that's just a lesson I cannot learn enough times. Like, fuck, every time I think I learn that lesson, I find another inhibition in myself. I find something else I'm afraid of. I find another insecurity that I lie about. Yeah. And it's like, dude, don't fucking lie. Like, accept your, okay, something I was thinking about, maybe, I think it was this morning, is like, guilt, right? Like, obviously guilt has this beneficial evolutionary function where like if we're in a clan together or a tribe or whatever and I wrong you mm-hmm. that's going to detract from my social capital yeah. and it's going to detract from my odds of survival also so it makes sense that I have an an emotional sort of um reward punishment system in place so like if I like stole your food or if I like beat you or raped you or whatever then I'd like oh I feel bad yeah. Because the one the individuals that don't feel bad are a lot more likely to be excommunicated and then die because we're social animals and we're fairly vulnerable. So guilt has a function, and it's okay to feel guilty if you if you legitimately wronged someone, you know. But there's so much of our behavior that is just varying opinions, or that is just some aesthetic that has been solidified in society and in their ideals, and like. And we take those to heart. We, um, as humans, as social beings, you know, we, we're, we're very, I think we're bad at separating. Oh, this is, this is subjective to my culture right now. And this is actually human nature. This is me being a bad person. I should feel guilty about Yeah, yeah I see. So like last night I went out dancing, um, with a friend of mine and just like, I mean, I looked ridiculous. Like people like were coming up to me and being like, Oh man, your dance is so crazy, you know? And it's like the amount of fun that I had and I, I would just see other people, you know, kind of like inhibitedly bobbing yeah. to the beat. And it's like, that's me most of my life. And it's just like, that's a cool visual representation. Yeah. Of that. Yeah. yeah. I was shit. freaking out, dude. I was freaking <laughs> out. Like I must've burned a thousand calories. Yeah. 
It was, you know, um, but like, I looked like a better dancer than I was because I was actually committing to dancing. And that's all it is. It's just like committing to the things that make you happy. Oh my God. Yeah. And leaving shame and inhibition behind. And like, so I think I'm relearning that. I learned that in like high school and like, you know, to some extent and in college with, with the acting series, I really, really learned that. And in Chicago, I kind of relearned that in a way and stealing a lot of depression in Chicago. And then since coming back, it's like, there's always a layer deeper of those, you know? And so, yeah. So I think I'm, and then I'll, do you know, father John Misty? Oh yeah. Okay, so he used to be, uh, his name is Jake Tillman, right? So okay. he used to perform under the name Jake, Jake Tillman. Uh, sorry, Josh, Josh Tillman. And um, he said that he like, he started performing um, in like his early 20s when he had these ideas about what he wanted to be and he was trying to be something. Uh, I see, yeah. And so like, he was like, I'm so, I'm just tired of what I've been doing for the last 10 years. Like I need a reset. I need a new moniker. I'm going to call myself a different name. And, like, when you see him perform, when I watch him dance, he's so, like, silly, you know? And he so just, like, feels it. And he looks like his hips move in kind of a feminine way. And, you know what I mean? It's these these things that, in certain social circles, he would be shamed for. But he fucking rocks, you know? And he just, like, says what he means to say. And, or, like, Louis C.K., right, Um, has really good at, like, bringing these uh, vulnerable, introspective moments out to the forefront and being like, this is what I feel like when I'm alone, or this is what I'm like afraid of. Or, and, and until I see that, I'm like, Oh, I'm the only person who feels this way. Like I should be ashamed of this. And then I see that someone else feels the exact same way. And, and you know, that like that hint of self monitoring that you have, even when you're alone, like if you like dance a little bit and you're like, no one's around you're like, Oh, this is stupid. Yeah. What if someone was watching? Right. Yeah. Yeah. What if someone, (laughs) what would they think? Yeah. Yeah. And that's fucking, what is that? That's, right? What is that? That is so toxic. That's an interesting, I've been thinking about this a lot, actually. The way that I look at it, um, and this is, I'm going to go into a piece of advice and I want to know what you think about it, Mm -hmm. but it's, I think we learn to present uh, the person that we wish others saw us as. Absolutely. Uh, and that is not being true to yourself. And in fact, that is, whilst I understand the intention behind it, that is like inhibiting you massively. And I forget where, I forget who said it first, but um, I heard this great piece of advice that's very simple that I really like, which is just, you are enough. Yeah. Um, and that's a really interesting idea because I think the most entertaining people to watch on stage are the people that don't are just being or mm-hmm. just being there. It's like, it's interesting to see if someone's just breathing on stage, but they're like, they're not trying to it's be anything. Yeah. It's like, Oh my God, what's so interesting about this person just breathing. Um, I guess this comes kind of to the artistic side of things where do you have advice? Like if you were leading a group of people or like in the parents or something, if you're observing that either in yourself or another person. How do you come out of this like need to present a false variant of yourself? Uh, oh, that's, that's a good question. That's a great, wow. That's a great question. Yeah. That's a great leadership question. What I think is really important is that you distract people from their ability to monitor themselves. Yeah. <laughs> so something I really like is physical exercises, right? Like mm-hmm. if you physically engage someone, like, do you remember, were you there when we, uh, Alexander Lavalley was there and, and I did that one workshop? 
I think so, probably. Okay, so I did this workshop with him, and I remember he oh, was... yes, I do remember Yeah, this. the push yes, exercise. I, yes, I do remember this. So, um, for any listeners, Alexander LaValle is like a... He's a really big guy, really tall, beard, right? He has a very, like... Um, he's such a sweetheart. Yeah. But if you look at him, you can be like, whoa, like that guy, like, I don't want to fuck with that guy, yeah. right? So, if you're a sweetheart and you look like you can be imposing, you know, I think he had kind of built up this complex in himself, like... Be gentle, be soft, like let people know I'm not a threat. And that is a very, that's good. Sure. That's like, yeah. you know, that that's sweet and then that's fine. But it's also um, can be inhibiting, you know. I see. So he didn't want to take up his full space. He wanted to compress his shoulders. He wanted to stay still. He wanted, didn't want to make sudden movements. He, and this was all self-conscious, you know. Mm-hmm. So what I did with him is uh, we like locked hands um, and basically like just push into each other as hard as we could. And it was just like, I mean, if you engage someone on an animal level, which is what we were doing, I, I mean, I'm a big guy too. He's a big guy. And we were just fucking pushing against each other, you know? Um, and when your body's doing that, when your body's like, Oh shit, like this, this animal's coming at me. I need to push back. I need to protect. And then you're, and then, and then it's like, no talk, do the scene, do the scene, you know? Like, that was a uh, that was a really fun moment for me to see to see him and you know I mean I, I didn't get him all the way there of yeah. course and there's there's so much um, but the walls begin to come down exactly yeah. exactly so um, or like uh, I was directing this play Danny and the Deep Blue Sea with these two actors uh, Andrea Nelson and David Diggle again it'd be like this physical exercise and 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 taking the stakes really high up so I remember like. Um, uh, the character Danny feels like his only sort of chance for uh, love and vulnerability and acceptance is with his woman, Roberta, which who he like had just slept with. They just met the night before and she's feeling really withdrawn. Like the night before she was vulnerable and then in the daytime he's vulnerable. So I would have Andrea like, I'd be like, Andrea, don't let David touch you. If he touches you, like you die. Like David, if you don't touch her, no one will ever love you. And then I just wrap my arms around his waist and try to keep him, like try to hold him back as much as I could. Yeah. And just like do the scene and then do this exercise. Right. So he would be like dragging me like an anchor, you know, and just yeah. fighting to get. And so like, so, so yeah, we can, we can try and present ourselves and do all this stuff in this safe, sterile social environment where we don't have to worry about a fucking tiger jumping out and eating us yeah. or something like that. Yeah. But you can't do that when you're in an animalistic mode, you know, and we are animals. And so I feel like a great way to address that is to, to make someone really physically exert themselves and to take that part of their mind off of it and then make the other part of their mind continue to do some sort of acting exercise or scene yeah. or whatever. I have an interesting compliment to that. When I was very young starting improv, I had um, some of my classmates and I made a team for a cage match Okay. Uh, that we actually ended up winning. Nice. Um, but what we would do before the shows is we would get the five-minute warning, and w- when we got the five, we would exit out the back, and the theater was part of this giant strip, and we would sprint as fast as we could uh, in one loop around the strip, and then like just exhausting ourselves, and then we'd come out, and we'd get on stage and just do pretty much immediately from this sprinting. Yeah. Uh, we'd do the show. And we did, it's still like to this day some of my favorite improv that I've done just because nice. it's like 
when when you get into that place where you're just like you can't not exist in your body like mm-hmm. you have to be in your body yeah that's there are like that means that you're not in your head and you're right. not like conscientiously choosing to place up the uh, the barriers that you present Absolutely. to people in what ways can you uh engage a cast to like to bring them to that level but then unify them does that make sense I, because that's another thing that i've been really curious about this podcast yeah like, cast unity and what that means and how when you're oh great i got a good time (laughs) when you're presenting that false variant of yourself uh to you to the audience and to your cast that sort of that puts up like a little divider in the potential unity absolutely and to be fair everyone does that too Mm -hmm. that's just part of being human yeah yeah, to some extent we want to we want other people to see us yeah i guess how do you break through that to get a cast to really function well together? Because Parrots is a great example of a cast functioning like at fucking full capacity. Yeah. Slaying it. If you're the leader, you have to be sensitive to the individuals and how all the individuals make up the group dynamic. And so for, so like, like with, you know, like with Alex or whatever, like if you can diagnose something in someone and work on that individually, because like you said, the, each individual's own wall is a separation from you. Yeah. Um, but then I, a huge thing is just like time. Like parrots rehearsed. Parrots were better than most of the improv I've seen because parrots worked harder than most of the improv I've seen. Not because we're just these brilliant whatever you know, or that we unlock some improv secret. It's like you put in the time, you rehearse with the same people. You feel like when you, once you get to that level of rapport where you can just feel them, you can feel their movements because you put that time in. I mean, that's huge. So yeah, I like mean, you said eight hours a week minimum. You're right. Yeah. That's hu- yeah. That's right. Massive. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's a, that's a whole day of labor, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, so, so, so that's, that's huge. And then in terms of group unity, that, that would be like in terms of performance, in terms of group unity, in terms of like artistic direction, um, something that I've found is like just common sense and again, like putting in work and time. So like I would before rehearsal, I mean, I know everyone, you know, is thinking about the artistic thing that, that they're doing or Maybe everyone in Paris spent time thinking about Paris outside of rehearsal, but I saw it as like my duty to sit down and think about what are we doing right now? What are we trying to do? Where are we going? And think it out logically and come up with a game plan. And then when you do that, you, you provide structure for other people, right? And then people can get on the same page together. So that helps with unity, but then also, you know, it's not about hey, let's all do what I want. It's like, hey, I think this this is the coolest thing I could come up with. When I dedicated my own time to think about what we can do, this is the coolest thing I can come up with. How do you guys feel about that? You know, Does anyone have any cooler ideas than me? Does anyone have an idea that can augment this idea that I had? And then if they do, fuck yeah. Like, where's the, you know, mm-hmm. you don't need like, um, like, like after we won nationals and we spent all of our money on getting the nationals and we had to go back in two months. It was like, I was like, well, we should do a new format every week and we should do two showings of each format. 
but I didn't. I didn't just create Improv Awareness Month single handedly. Like Zach Weinberg came up with the name Improv Awareness Month. So catchy. So yeah. you know, and it's so what we were doing too. Yeah, definitely. Um, and like everyone, everyone pitched in in terms of formats that they were comfortable with, and some people were like, "I'm not comfortable with that. Let's moving at such a faster rate than we're used to," and we all just had to talk about that. And that's, that's a legitimate concern. I mean, I didn't, I obviously didn't agree with that perspective. You know, it's like, we can do this, like believe in us, you yeah. know, believe in yourself. Like, but it's like, let's address it. Let's talk yeah. about it. You know? And if the whole group, yeah. And that way you don't get these festering concerns and that way people feel listened to. And that way you're doing cooler stuff because I'm, I'm not going to come up with the best idea by myself. I think I come up with good ideas but it's my idea is going to be better as part of like a group's idea. If you can really like siphon the good ideas off of a group. Yeah. So like being deliberate, having a game plan and then like taking decisive action to be a leader and say, Hey everyone, this is what I think we should do, but this is a democracy. I want everyone to be in on this. Yeah. I think really helps with unity. Cause if people feel like, like they have input in terms of like the direction that the group is going, it's just like, it's just like, in a show, if you have input into the direction that the show's going, you're going to be a lot more engaged yeah. in the show. You're going to be listening. But if you're like, oh, you know, like, I guess every scene is just like a tap out run of dick jokes. Like, I'm going to get, my eyes are going to glaze over. You're not yeah. going to see me on stage at all, yeah. you know? So, because I don't want to do dick joking. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes, you know, yeah. but like. In once in a blue moon. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah. Yeah, that's what I'd say about Unity. I think a lot of artistic directors I've seen, um, have a tr- have some sort of trouble with the decisive part of mm-hmm. the whole thing where it's it's hard for them to make a decision either because they think it's too lofty or they don't want to make the jump or I think a big one is they're worried about offending sensibilities of the cast or not offend- offending totally. is a bit of a too strong word but does totally. that make sense yeah absolutely so I guess it was what what would you say to those artistic directors who uh, see in themselves like oh I'm I need to be more decisive but yeah. I'm, like that is a personal block that I'm encountering. First off, I would say if you see that within yourself, you are probably absolutely right. And you probably do need to be more decisive. <laughs> and that's, it is hard. Like it's, yeah. it's hard to be a leader with peers or maybe with people who are even older than you or, you know, um, and it's hard to, it's hard to tell people what to do. And so that's why, that's why that, that, um, when I was talking about unity, right. The approach of being like, I thought this through. So like usually we would go off of something that had the spine of my initial idea mm-hmm. and people see that. And then they start to respect that and see your leadership. Oh, wow. You know, these are, these are ideas that are appealing to me and they, um, and they work. So that helps you kind of gain that legitimacy. But also I guess as far as like offending people's sensibilities go, that's, that's hard. And something I, I felt a pitfall that I felt myself on to a lot. was like becoming passive aggressive. And that's like a huge leadership thing, artistic director thing. Lots of artistic directors are passive aggressive because you want to get people to do things and you're like, guys, don't you want to do this? Oh yeah. I remember, I remember what I was saying. So, um, if you get everyone on the same page, then you can refer back to that instead of being like, Hey, yeah. Hey, I want to raise, my goal is to raise $5,000 for us to go to New York because I want to go to New York. Like, so do it. Like Jake, come, come to rehearsal. I want to go to New York. Send me to New York. It's like, Oh, this is what (laughs) I don't, you know, like I'm not your, like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not just going to do what you, but if it's like, 
hey, what do you want to do? Do you want to go to New York? And you're like, fuck yeah, I want to go to New York. Yeah. It's like, dude, let's raise $5,000 and go to New York. And you're like, hell yeah. And then next week you're like lazy or you're late. And I'm like, dude, don't you want to go to New York? Yeah. And you're like, I do. And it's like, come on, man. Like, let's let's get there together. Yeah, let's especially holding people accountable. It's like, we need exactly. all of us to go to New York. Yeah, really. so if everyone agrees... Then you can, that's, that's something that helps with that too, so that you can kind of sidestep that passive aggressiveness. So first off, if you feel like you need to say something to someone, do it. Yeah. Otherwise you're going to get passive aggressive. And second off, have a social contract that you can refer back to with them. You can say, look, you, like you need to shape up because if you don't, like we all can't do the thing that you agreed you wanted to do. And yeah. like, don't you want to do that? Yeah. You know, so I, but still, it's still really fucking hard yeah. to avoid. Yeah. Because that contract, like after two months, that contract just kind of faded into the mist right. of memory. And For like, sure. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And so keep calling and keeping it ever present at rehearsals too. Hey, this is where we are. Mm-hmm. We're six weeks out from Chicago. Yeah. Like we're four weeks out from Chicago. Okay. We have this show coming up, you know, next week and we're three weeks out from Chicago, you know? So like... Keeping that present, keeping that, keeping the urgency, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just getting, getting people to agree, jumping on it. It's going to feel, it's, it's about the same thing about shame and, and inhibitions, right? Like, yeah. it feels, I feel ashamed of being domineering or demanding or whatever. But you know what? If I was elected artistic director, it's because people saw, you know, merit in my leadership ability. Yeah. So fucking sack up and be the artistic director. But also like don't don't be a dick. Always tie it back into, you know, accountability and into group goals and that person's goals. Because yeah. you're there for the group. Exactly. Yeah. You're there for the group and the group is there for each individual member. Mm-hmm. And like it should be uh uh the whole is better than the sum of its parts type yeah. type of thing. And yeah. yeah. So social construct. Con- contracts and accountability, I think, were the most helpful thing in that. Uh, awesome. Is there anything? Uh, is there anything you want to talk about that we haven't addressed yet in terms of the realm of artistry or artistic direction or about the parents specifically? Did we? I don't. Know, I don't. Maybe your listeners will be familiar. But I don't, do we even say what the parents are? No, I, I guess we, <laughs> there are some people who have been on the parents, so it's been gotcha. Okay, described, but we should probably say yeah. That. Western yeah, Washington yeah. University's uh, improv group. So something that I love about... Okay, so I went to Chicago. Okay, actually, yeah, there's something I kind of want to talk Great. about. In my... So I'm, I'm doing work at the Outfront now, um, which I was telling you about uh, before we started the podcast. But um, something I noticed when working with people from the Upfront, and it, it brought back these intense memories of parrots in this Washington-style thing versus Chicago-style thing, is when people start improvising in Washington they go straight to the fourth wall and they start doing object work. Yeah. Okay. And when people start improvising in Chicago, like after training, they walk on stage and they look each other in the eye. Hmm. And, um, there's a beautiful balance somewhere between those two that I think you, where you can kind of find perfection. Like I would, so like, during that rehearsal, uh, Billy Tierney was, was running it because, uh, Chris Erickson was, was out for the day. But, uh, I kept on feeling like, Hey, like who fucking cares about the thing you're painting? Like, what are we, what's going on here? You know? But at the same time, Billy brought up a good point about like, um, commitment, 
um, to, oh, no, about, um, um, yeah, yeah, commitment to your own thing, right? So, like, if we can both come on, and I already know what my thing is, and you already know what your thing is, and then we can, like, both connect, I think that's, I think that's the best. I don't know. I've just been thinking about that recently, yeah. and, like, where, like, no object work matters without the context of the relationship of the scene, and I really think, like, that is the, the biggest thing. Like, TJ and Dave always start, like, with immediate eye contact, yeah. and you can feel a dynamic within two seconds yeah. with eye contact, oh, yeah. you know? Um, eye contact and body language and just how, mm-hmm. so, uh, I don't know. That's just an interesting stylistic thing. I yeah. About. Well, I, I think the first, I think in a strong improv scene, typically the first offer is nonverbal, uh, in terms of like, yeah, if, if I'm painting and you have an orange, mm-hmm. uh, and those are our things. And then we both check in with each other. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, you're holding something. I'm definitely painting. Like that is a story that is already unfolding itself. And it turns, it, it becomes a very easy uh, realm of, well, we're just going to say what feels obvious at the right. moment. Uh, and that's like, that's when you completely invest in a reality. So it's like, and after we say a few lines, suddenly this reality is has the, dropped upon us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like it's draped over us. And right. now it becomes a lot easier as long as we're just constantly listening and investing in the reality. Right. It becomes like, interest, like much more interesting to see. It's like you're holding the orange and I'm painting it and you need to stop moving the orange so much. And it's like, why don't we just put it on the table? No, and I mean, you can have a thousand different scenes where you're painting and I'm holding an orange, but like until we see each other, we don't know yeah. what kind of scene we're, you know what I mean? Like are you pissed off that you're holding. Exactly. Orange? Yeah. Are you excited? Are you turned on? Are you yeah. like horny by painting? Yeah. Like, this is my thing. yeah like, <laughs> You know, does that turn me on? Am I inhibited? You know, like what? And so like, that's where it happens and that's the magic. And, and so, um, something I feel like with like hanging out with people or with like dating or something, and this ties into improv and it ties into what we were talking about, about shedding your inhibitions is like all this stuff that we talked about, I can apply to social situations. Like I can like meet a new person and I can be like, this is the same. Yeah. Like the way that I'm leaning forward towards you right now, yeah. you know, it's like, I am, you're like, Oh, this guy's energetic. Yeah. You know, he wants to talk. His eyes are open wide. Like the way you're sitting, you're like, you're relaxed, but you're open and receptive. Yeah, exactly. So I feel comfortable. Okay. I can, I can give this guy my energy. Yeah, right. Definitely. If you, you know, if you're, if your arms are <laughs> yeah. crossing, you're slouching back, I'd be like, what's going on with this guy? Yeah, He's not comfortable. Like, I need to check yeah, in. In this then, interview scenario. Right. Just like, oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, did I say something? You pissed him off. And then you get in your head and then you start trying to present. Yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so it's all the same. I mean, it's like people, actors and improvisers are like, oh, I'm so scared of scripted acting. And so, or like, oh, I'm so scared of improv. I don't know what I would say. Or, you know, or like people who don't do any sort of performance, you're like, I can't imagine no thinking of being funny on the spot. It's like, it's all the same. It's all about honesty. Like I want to empathize and I want to be surprised. So if you're going to do that in an, in an interaction, we're going to fucking laugh. We're going to have a good time. If you're going to do that after you've memorized lines and you burn through your inhibited choices and rehearse to that point where now you're raw and, and these, things that have been practiced so much are, are coming out at moments of inspiration. Cause you've like built yourself up to that through your rehearsal process. That's fucking awesome. You know, or if you just walk out on stage and you're open to whatever and you take it in, 
Yeah, I know. I keep getting so worked up that I lose. Yeah, no, it's great. I love the energy. I really yeah. love the energy. Yeah, I'm feeling energetic. So we're we're rounding out about forty minutes right now. Cool. Um, uh, yeah. Thank you so much for being. Oh on. yeah, it was a blast. Uh, yeah, yeah, amazing stuff to say. I, I wasn't I wasn't anticipating that you didn't, but <laughs> um, sweet. If anyone's trying to find you online, do you have anything online, or do you have any plugs, or if you don't, this is oh, fine. Oh, man, that's a great question. I haven't, yeah, I haven't done really anything social media-wise, but one day I'm going to have a website, and yeah. one day you can you can find me on Instagram, <laughs> all that stuff. Just keep Googling Miguel once okay. a year. You know, Miguel yeah. Vila, just Google it one yeah. day. <laughs> all right. um, and then I love ending the podcast with this question. Okay. Can you give one recommendation of anything at all? So like a book or a movie, some media thing, a quote, a lifestyle, a like anything. Just one though. Oh, yeah, that's a- <laughs> well, so I'm on this big like kick right now. I'm really, really amped about the idea of expansiveness. So I would say like be expansive, challenge yourself to expand. I'm, I'm kind of like, run- I'm kind of cheating a little bit because you said one thing. Yeah, that's, um, that's fine. But like when I say expansive, like there, there are some things that that makes me think of that really stretch me out, like traveling. Whenever I travel, I'm in a new place around new people and I have to think moment to moment. I can't set back in my autopilot. Actually, moment to moment. What am I doing? Where am I going to eat? Just little decisions, you know, Mm -hmm. where you're completely present. And, um, or like, uh, art. Art is absolutely wonderful. That challenges you. It's, um, you see different people's aesthetics, you know, um, honestly, I think like you have to be, you have to be safe about this, this next one, but like doing drugs, can be really expansive for your mind, you know, okay. and in the right kinds of situation. Well, because it, when yeah. you change, just like when you drink, most, I'm sure most people drink or smoke weed or if you smoke weed, it changes your, your, the frequency of your brain waves. Yeah, it definitely, and, definitely does. And you think on a more typically like low key, like depressive state, not depressive, like sad, but um, just like a lower frequency brainwaves. And when you do that, you have a different perspective, you know? I mean, if you smoke weed all the time or if you just yeah. become a meth addict or whatever, like it's, it's not worth it, you know, and there's, there's a way to go about it. But, um, so yeah, I would say art, traveling, drugs, and people like really meeting people, allowing your like walls to come down around people and allowing, like allowing people to feel safe, like letting people know that you're not going to judge them and that you accept them. Yeah. And then that like stretches you out too. So like yeah, that last one's a lifelong endeavor. Though. Oh yeah, oh, yeah <laughs> definitely. So be expansive, and and I'm sure there's things that I I'm overlooking, but just like being expansive. Oh, I like that. In 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 everything, in 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 my performance, in my art, in my day to day life, like. Yeah. yeah, that's the most abstract recommendation that I've gotten so far, and I love it. I absolutely <laughs> love it. Miguel, again, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's a blast. It really was a blast. You can find this on my website, jacobalexanderford.com. This is on Facebook and SoundCloud and iTunes. And please, 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 listener, have an excellent rest of your day. Woo! Thank you for listening. (laughs) What you want, boy? Uh, uh, uh.